So my introduction changed a little bit. I had a, a rough draft introduction Monday or Tuesday, at least I was mulling in my mind, and then something happened that maybe we didn't expect to happen in our state. We had a shooting again, at, it may, and maybe it happened so often now that we almost expect something uh, like that, what happened at UNLV this last week. The fact that we say things like, well, only three or maybe four now passed away, with the fact that we throw that word only in there, uh, maybe gives a little indication of, of the state of our world in which we live. And as I was thinking about that or reading about uh, that tragic event uh, that happened uh, this week, I came across uh, this quote uh, that, that fits pretty well with what we're talking about today. Uh, so it said, this is a student being interviewed, uh, many professors are extending deadlines while most professors are staying silent on exams. We are being left in the dark when it comes to what this means for finals week. I believe the professors are just as shocked as we are and still processing the tragedy. A few phrases that, that maybe surface to the top there is that we're left in the dark. Isn't that a description of us? Uh, so often when we face tragedy, we maybe feel like we're in the dark. And we even look to people that are leaders at times, people that we think will have the answers, but if the tragedy is tragic enough, they too don't know where to point us. They're rendered speechless and because they're still processing the tragedy. Those words resonate as we think of the words that we just read and we just sang from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, that chapter in and of itself is rather interesting uh, break. This is a pretty significant chapter in the, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is, is, can often be divided into two major parts. It's like two completely different acts. You have act one and act two. In fact, some would say Isaiah is like a mini Bible. There's 66 books in the, in the Bible. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah. And there's 39 books in the Old Testament, and there's 27 in the New. And so you have the 39 chapters of Isaiah, and then it almost introduces a whole new section for those last 27 chapters. Now, that was not what Isaiah had in mind when he wrote it. The chapter divisions didn't come for 1,900 more years. Um, he just wrote it as a scroll, but it does divide up uh, very beautifully. And this Act 1, chapter 39, ends with a pretty tragic event where Isaiah marches into the palace, might be equivalent to like the Oval Office, and he tells the king, uh, things aren't looking good. See this beautiful palace? Everything that you and your ancestors have, have built up here, it's all going to be gone. And then he, he moves on, he says, and, and your descendants, those after you, your own flesh and blood, they're going to be taken away. They're going to be taken away as exiles to live in a foreign country. That's pretty tragic news. And the curtain falls to begin to the end act one. And as the curtain opens again on to begin act two, you almost wonder, 
What's Isaiah going to say? You know, what do you say after giving such tragic news? I, you, you, you think of people who have those jobs of, of delivering bad news. I, I, you think of like a, a police officer who maybe has to, has to knock on a door in the middle of the night and wake some parents up and say, oh, I'm sorry, but your, your son uh, rolled the car. He didn't make it. What do you say next? I'm sorry, I suppose, but that seems so shallow for that moment. Or this last week, we, celebra- we observed the 82nd anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, right? Where did, three didn't just die, but 2,403 people died. What do you think of all those conversations, those, those tragic conversations that happened on doorsteps as they delivered that message to these families who, who supported their loved ones, who were, who were giving their life to service, and then they had to be told that their loved ones gave the ultimate sacrifice. What do you say? What do you say in the, in the midst or in the aftermath of tragedy? Now, for Isaiah to come back with something very comforting would also be very difficult because he's even a little bit, he's not, you know, a police officer is maybe a little bit more removed from the situation, not Isaiah. Because the tragic news that he just delivered to this king was about his people. This tragic news that he delivered to the king was about his family, his country. It's very likely that Isaiah was related to, to the king himself, that he had royal blood in him. So when he's talking about, hey, our own flesh and blood are going to be carried off into exile, carried off into slavery to, to work and to be slaves under another king, he's talking about, this is, this is me. So, so you can almost think that, that Isaiah is like this professor that I, I don't know what to say. I, I'm still processing this. And you, you see that come out in Isaiah 40. Uh, the first 11 verses of Isaiah 40 are, are written in, in poetry form, almost like a song. The, what we just sang is, could have been how they sang it. And, and you see right smack dab in the middle of there that you have Isaiah saying, what shall I cry? I have no idea. But the Lord, the Lord speaks so tenderly through Isaiah. says, I know you don't know what to say. But this is what I want you to say. And I want you to watch for that theme as we go through these verses again, how it makes it clear that this isn't Isaiah knowing exactly, have that timely word as a prophet, but it's the word of the Lord. Three times, I think, in these 11 verses, it comes up, the mouth of the Lord has spoken, the word of the Lord endures forever. So this is God. This is God directly. Yeah, Isaiah's writing it down, but it's God speaking. And this is how he starts off. He says, comfort, comfort. By repeating those two words, immediately God shows that he is a God who gets us. He knows that we often need words repeated in the midst of tragedy. Right? You don't just say comfort and then go on your way. Or you think of, I've I've never seen a a mother go into a nursery and and pick up a, a screaming child and go, shh and then put it right back down, right? It usually takes shh, and then after that child settles down, then they'll put him or her back. That's what God is doing here. He's, he's picking up his children, and he's saying, shh, 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 comfort, comfort. 
That same picture, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And then he gives three reasons why, why we can be comforted, why, three reasons to speak tenderly to his people. He starts off here by saying, tell them, tell them that their hard service has been completed. Tell them that, you know what, this isn't going to last forever. And that we, we do find that comforting, don't we? To know that as, as difficult as something is, as, as difficult as some tragedy, there, you do move on in some ways. Or, or if you're in the midst of something, that ends eventually. I mean, I've sat in many a pew where I think that is the worst sermon in the world, right? But I know there's going to be an amen, right, at the end. Or maybe you're sitting through a long, boring class, but you're saved by the bell that rings at the end. Or maybe a little bit more serious. You can be stuck in a dead-end job, but it eventually ends when you retire. Or you can have a life full of tragedy, but it eventually ends when you expire. I mean, we, we do use that as comfort. How many times have you ever said or heard, this too shall pass, right? This too shall pass. And that's what God uses for our comfort today. He says, hey, you're going to have some troubles, but this too shall pass. Your heart service will be complete. And yet, maybe there's a little bit of emptiness in there. Like, really, that's all? Is that the only reason to say comfort, comfort? Because I know it's going to end. And God says, no, I got more for you than that. Not only will it end, but then he goes on to say these two phrases. A, he says, tell them that their sin has been paid for. And B, that they have received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Now that first part, we maybe get very easily. Tell them that their sin has been paid for. We talk about that all the time. We said it again this morning, right? You come and you confess your sins, and I say, I as a called servant of Christ, forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We live for forgiveness. We hear about forgiveness, maybe so much so that we take it for granted that it doesn't even always give us that double comfort that God intended. My encouragement today would slow down and think about that. That God says, you are forgiven. But then he goes into the second phrase, which does cause us to slow down, because I think we scratch our heads a little bit when we hear that. We say, and tell them that they have received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. What does that mean? And maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but this is where I think I often don't think about the, the depth or of, of the forgiveness, the double payment that's talked about here. And, and this is what it means, is that God is saying, not only have I forgiven you your sins, but I've also given you holiness. Not only have I rescued you from hell, I've, off, I've also prepared you for heaven. You see the, the double payment there? I, th I think we often stop here. Okay, I'm saved. I'm saved from something. That, that comforts me. But, but God doesn't leave us in this neutral zone. He says, but I'm also taking you to this place of, of holiness, this place of heaven. 
Or you can kind of think of the word of, of pardon that, that came up in the song before. You know, when, when someone pardons, let's say the governor pardons a criminal. Okay, he's pardoned. But that's one thing. But now what if the governor said, and you can live in my mansion? Okay. Or if the president would say, you're pardoned, and you can live in the White House. That's, that's what... What Jesus, that's what Isaiah, the comfort, the double comfort that God is giving to us through, through Isaiah today. That you are not just not sinners, but that you're saints. That's how God looks at you. You are saints. Through Jesus, you are prepared for heaven. And and maybe that's what gets into the next point. It's like, yeah, how, how do I not just not, how am I just not saved but also prepared for heaven? Uh, Isaiah goes on to it, and he, he talks about this voice, this voice that is in the desert. And, and this is one of those double prophecies. We talk about that sometimes. When, we, when you look, look through the Old Testament, these prophets, uh, the way that they talk, they often have a, an immediate fulfillment of their prophecy, but then it also has an ultimate fulfillment. Same words, but they get fulfilled multiple times. And so too, when, when, when this Isaiah is, is saying these words to the king that says, hey, we're, we're going to be destroyed. We're going to be hauled off into captivity uh, to the de- through the desert. We're going to have to go 500 miles away to the king of Babylon. But here God is saying, there's going to be relief. There's going to be a voice. You're going to be called back through that desert. And you're going to be able to come back home. You're going to be able to be restored as a, as a people again. That brings them joy. That brings them comfort for the immediate listeners. But there's a much bigger fulfillment of these words. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Three Gospels that talk about the life of Jesus. All say, these words are about John. John the Baptist, the, the guy who was born, whose only job was to prepare the way for Jesus. That's the one who's going to bring relief. That's the one who's going to bring uh, you know, re, uh, the, the, the message of forgiveness, the comfort. And, and you, see, you see how big this comfort is. You see how big this deliverer is just by the superlatives uh, that are used here. Uh, the, the custom in the day of Isaiah, but also in the time of, of John, is that if some dignitary was coming into, the, into your community, you would do road work. You, you wanted their chariots to be nice and smooth, similar to like, you know, rolling out the red carpet for someone. So I don't know if we should expect a dignitary with all the work on 395 now or, or what's going on. But, but, but that's the idea that we're going we're gonna to level out this highway so that the king or some dignitary can come into our community. But you look at the words here. It's not level out 395 or level out Pyramid Highway. It's every mountain shall be laid, shall be raised, or every valley shall be raised up and every mountain will be made low. And, And I think for people living here, we can appreciate this picture. We love that Highway 80 goes over Donner Pass these days, right? And compared to what happened 
long time ago, right? We love that there's a, a pass. And yet we also know that sometimes that road still gets closed. Sometimes that road still is treacherous. Sometimes that pass isn't passable. So that even some dignitary couldn't get through if he, if he or she wanted to. But this dignitary won't even have a mountain to go over. Because every mountain is going to be made low. Every valley is going to be raised up. And that's God's way of saying there is nothing. There is nothing that could get in the way of him sending his Savior into this world to deal with our tragedy. There's going to be no barrier, no depth that he couldn't cross. Not just in the world, but in our hearts, too. These words are often used to describe the, re the repentance that comes in our hearts. We, we build up these mountains of pride. And God's word is so strong that he can knock them down. Or we find ourselves in these depths of these valleys of despair. And God's word is so strong that he fills them in. Nothing can separate you from love of God. Nothing is going to get you get in the way of Jesus coming into our life. Last week we talked about how, how the, the fall into sin and, and, and right away, what did God do? He said, the only way that I can fix this is if I write myself into the story. And that's what he says he's going to do here. That, that there's not going to be anything else that gets in the way. I'm, nothing can stop me. I'm going to write myself into this story. And we need him. To come into our lives. We need him to write himself into our story because nothing else will work. No other dignitary, no other hero, no other professor to go back to that opening can, can give that direction, can give that comfort that only Jesus can give. And Isaiah goes on to say this, is everybody else is like grass, you know, or like flowers that fall and wither. Right, and it's not just about everybody else. This is about us, too. Sometimes we think, well, I can be the hero. I can save myself. But no, we too. We too fall. And every time we hear about this, this, this can be a call to repentance as well. Because every time we hear about death, we know about what? We know that death only came into this world because of sin. But while everything else in this world fails, God doesn't. One thing that stands, right? But the word of our God endures forever. That word that points us to Jesus, that word that brings Jesus, that brings God into our story, that brings God into our life, which is how Isaiah ends this, this little poem that he sings. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. And he rules with a mighty arm. And he jumped down to verse 11 there. And he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms. Twice the word arm comes up there. I think that's so interesting. One, it's a mighty arm. And one, it's a gentle arm. Powerful and holding close to our hearts. That's the God you have. That's the comfort, comfort comfort to know that we have a strong, mighty, powerful God who can defend us from the world and defend us from our enemies. 
We have a gentle, loving God who holds us in arms, in his arms. When tragedy hits us spiritually, physically, emotionally, and we say, why? Why would God ever want to do that for us in the first place? And you have to go back to the opening, the opening lyric. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. You're God's people. He's your God. That's why he comes. That's why he carries. And so may you rest assured in the face of tragedy, whatever tragedy you're facing today, whatever tragedy you're facing in the future, know this. You're his people. He's your God. And so you can have comfort, comfort. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, please stand as we confess.